0: Jesus gave his life on your behalf. Jesus died in your place as your substitute. And through faith in that, we can be born again. We can be made new. That means we have a new life, new attitude, new priorities. And everything has changed as we are being transformed from the inside out. Everything changes. So no aspect of our life is therefore left untouched by God's grace and by God's transformation. And whenever I approach a text of scripture like this, I'm going to focus on today, I ask myself the question, you know, why is this important for us? Or is this important for us as a church? Uh, what, we're, what we're going to focus on today. And the, the answer for me is that this transformation that God desires and that God is bringing about in our lives is uh, it, it, it impacts our everyday our everyday life and interactions so whether you're you know it impacts us as we gather together as the church is represented here or as we scatter about you know Adam walking around the streets of the Arabian Peninsula or someone like Nick in the lab uh, at his place of work you know that God is transforming us in such a way that it impacts all those Areas of, of our lives. And Jesus said, You know, just as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you, no matter where you go, you are a sent person on mission for me as, as we scatter about. And one of the greatest tragedies of this mission is if, and again, we're using these red dots as an example, is when one of these red dots loses its redness. Or is Jesus said, you know, when salt loses its saltiness or when a light is covered up. that that is a great tragedy because God is, uh, we get to participate in God's work. We get to experience his very presence in his face. And if, as we live on mission, we, we, we know that. But we can miss out on that beautiful mission. So I, I really want God's word to go deep for us this morning as we consider it and if I were to summarize this whole passage of Scripture, verses 1 through 11 here, if I were to summarize the whole thing, it's basically this. It's uh, because of Jesus, you can have a whole new attitude and a whole new lifestyle. And as you live that lifestyle, the world around us who doesn't, won't understand that, might even mock you for it, but we don't focus on that. Instead, we focus on God's will, pursuing God's will. And we, we therefore, we, are, we need to be alert, sober-minded, prayerful, ready, and, and really be ready, above all else, to love, to love deeply, to love one another deeply, and also just be ready to use whatever gifts, whatever graces God has given us in our lives, to, to use those in service to others for His glory. That's... That's the heart of what is being said here. So I want to briefly just look at verses 1 through 6 and consider this, the, the way of Jesus in, in following God's will in contrast to other ways of living. And spend a little bit more time on verses 7 through 11. Again, being alert and being sober-minded and prayerful, ready to love and ready to use whatever grace we've received to serve others. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Let's pray as we do so. So, Father God, we... We pray that you would invade at this time, invade our hearts, that uh, the words that I speak, Lord, and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and would be acceptable to you, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Our first thing, we are armed with the, a new attitude, the attitude of Jesus, and we see this in verses 1 through 6. This this great connection between what Christ has accomplished and our lives. So verse 1, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same attitude. And again, other places in Scripture teach, you know, our attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. That we should allow Christ to be transforming and renewing our minds. That we, we can actually have the mind of Christ. That our minds are being transformed to be armed with the attitude of Jesus. And then there's this phrase in verse 1. It's kind of a strange phrase. It says, whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. It, basically, the point here, as I understand it, is that when we, when we embrace a, a, an attitude that's even willing to suffer, even willing to die, we are breaking from sin and earthly pleasures and we are we are disaffiliating ourselves from that and orienting ourselves towards God's will. We're saying, look, I'm done with sin and I'm pursuing God's will. Even as Christ pursued God's will and was willing to suffer and willing to die on our behalf as he pursued that, we orient the same way. And then there's this beautiful description, or a kind of an ugly description, I guess I should say, in verses 2 and 3, of two ways to live. You know, there's God's way, there's the way of the cross where we're made alive even in the midst of, of suffering and death and nothing can steal that. But then there's the world's way in verse 3. Things like debauchery and lust and drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. It's a horrible list. But all of those things are very temporary pleasures, very, very carnal kind of things. And Peter said, look, you, you've, you Christians, you've done enough of that in your life. Any any amount of this way of living, that is enough. And we're done with that. We say goodbye to those things, and now we pursue God's will. And when you do that, verse 4, the world's not going to understand you. He says they are surprised that you don't join them in their reckless wild living. And they heap abuse on you. And really that word is verbal abuse. People aren't going to understand it when you choose to follow God. And, and people may even mock you or make fun of you. And that's just part, of, it's just part of living this way of life. But there's a reminder here, verse 5, that everyone's going to have to give account. You know, whether you're, whether you're alive or you're dead when Christ returns, you, you know, we have to give an account. And again, there's another, another phrase here in verse 6 where he says, that's why the gospel was preached to those who are now dead? That, in regard to their bodies, they're judged as destroyed or dead. But in regard to the spirit, they're judged alive in Christ. So, the the point the point there is, you know, people hear the gospel, even though they have died, even though it seems in their body that they've faced the ultimate judgment of death, that actually God is is greater than life or death, and that they are, in regard to God's spirit, they. They, will, they are alive. The same as, as Jesus you know, died in his body but was alive in his spirit and was uh, even, even so to overcome the grave and to, to rise from the dead. That, that same power is for anybody who is dead or alive. That's why the gospel is good news. That's why we have hope. You can do whatever you want to, to my body, but my, my, my life is secure ultimately in God. So it's, it's, it's a reminder. Look, there's two ways to live. You're choosing to, to follow God's way. The world doesn't understand it. And uh, the rest of the reminder here in verse 7 is the end of all things is near. It, you know, Christ can come back at any time. It was the same is true for them, the, the, the folks that Peter's writing to. The same is true for us. We don't know the, the day or the hour or the time, but but Christ is going to come back and we do have to give account for our lives. So therefore, we don't just, because of the reality of that, we don't just stand around staring at the sky, you know, when's Jesus going to come back? But we live lives that are alert and sober-minded and and ready to pray. And and therefore, therefore, a lot of things, but therefore, two main things he gives us. The first is to love God one another deeply. Verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply. Above all else, love. I don't know if you ever get in a above all else kind of a situation in your life. For me, the, the situation is most likely revolves around my children's food allergies. So we have very severe food allergies in our family and we carry around EpiPens. And we have them everywhere. They're, you know, in mom's purse. I got one at my desk. We just we have to carry these things around because if one of my children becomes exposed to something that they're very allergic to, they could go into anaphylactic shock. And above all else, you got to hit the kid with the EpiPen and call 911, and then you hit him again with the other EpiPen, just so you have enough time for the emergency services to get there and help the child. But above all else. You've got to have this thing and you've got to have it ready to use because this is a life and death situation. You know, sometimes the stakes aren't quite that high. You know, if you're going to a show, above all else, don't forget the tickets. If you're traveling, you know, above all else, don't forget your passport. You know, if you're ill, above all else, don't forget to take your medicine. You're hiking. Above all else, stay on the trail. And here Peter is writing to Christians, and he's saying, look, you're going to live this way of life, scattered about. The world's not going to understand it. They're not going to like it. But above all else, love each other deeply. Because love covers a multitude of, of sins. You know, Above all else, love. Because there's going to be sin in, in our world and in our lives. And uh, there's going to be sin and failure. And we're going to let one another down. I get, a, I get nervous. Whenever, when I meet people who, maybe they're, they're, they're new to this church or they're just kind of reconnecting. And they're so excited. And this church is such an amazing place. And they get real excited about how great everything is. And all I can think is, oh no, we haven't let you down yet. And I, I get nervous about that. Like, well, what's going to happen when I let you down? What, what's going to happen when I offend you or if I say something stupid, which I'm prone to do? What Peter's saying is if above all else we love, then that love is going to cover over the sin. That we can be excited about our life together. And this is a great place. And when we sin, love and grace and forgiveness is right there. Just as the love of Jesus and him giving his life on the cross covers all of our sins, our love for one another is going to cover over those areas where we fall short. Love is greater than all those things. Above all else, we love. And it gives a great example of hospitality. Verse 9, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. It's a great example of being able to love above all else. So we ask tough questions like, Who's one person in this church or in your life that you just want to avoid? And he says, offer a hospitality without grumbling. You know who, are you, who do you hold a grudge against in your heart? Who would you not want to show up at your small group? And the question is, how can you show love and hospitality to that person instead? Above all else, love. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. As we live this way of life, again, different from the world, the world doesn't understand it, but as we live it, we need to be faithful stewards of God's gifts and God's graces to us. Verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So every day as we live our lives, whatever grace God has given you, whatever gifts, spiritual gifts, material gifts that God has blessed you with, you can be ready to use them to bless and to serve others. He gives two specific examples. First is words, verse 11. If anyone speaks, they should do as one who speaks the very words of God. Words are powerful. Words, you can use your words every day. God has given you your words. You can use them to bless. You can use them to curse. We need to be ready to to use our words, speaking as if we were speaking the very words of God, words of hope and words that speak of, that speak well of of one another. The second example is service. Again, verse 11. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God, God provides. Whatever Whatever you speak, whatever you serve, be ready, be alert, be prayerful to do it in a way that that is a blessing to the world around us. And this is what we've been talking about this whole series. We want to help you, want to equip you to be able to do that, to be ready to serve however God has shaped you. We have an experience coming up in the life of our our church that's called Life Calling Workshop. I know some of you have I've participated in that in the past. I've done this workshop before. It's uh, information about it in the bulletin, but also information out at the welcome desk. There's flyers. You could talk to folks about that. This is an opportunity just to spend some time intentionally considering how has God gifted me to intersect my passion and my heart and my gifting that God has given me with the, the needs of the world. And where those things intersect, is it's just a beautiful life of ministry. Whether it's through your work or time that you're volunteering somewhere or other ways that you serve. Just, that, that is one way, if you feel stuck in this, please take advantage of that. A great opportunity to grow in this together. So whether it's with our words or with our service, we are faithful stewards of that. But look at verse 10 again. <coughs> Excuse me. It says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. Faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. It's just anything that we have, we use to serve. And I do want to talk, we've been talking about stewardship during the season. I do want to talk about money. Because money is is a, a gift that God has given us, and it does play a huge role in our lives. That's just the reality of our lives that we the way that we live as a community, we need financial resources. We need money. But it can be a very touchy issue. You know, why is it so touchy and so personal? People are much more likely to reveal personal you know, medical information about themselves than they are about financial information. But for us, it doesn't need to be this touchy, secretive kind of thing. It's just a normal part of our walking with the Lord. It's just a normal part of our discipleship, how we use our money. You know, we, we, this is part of our worship together. As we gather, we, we give our gifts and we, we pass a collection plate so that people can put their gifts in as part of our worship. It's not some other weird thing. I, I visited a church once. And they said, you know, people, people are kind of touchy about money and they get nervous about the church and church asking for money. So what they said, instead of passing plates, we're going to just wear little boxes in the back. And you can just, people can just discreetly kind of put their gift in the box, not in a plate. and Because they, they wanted to downplay it. But what, they, what happened was, because they really did want people to contribute into these boxes, they four times during the service, they described these boxes like, we're not going to, you know, ask you for money, but, but there are the boxes. The, the boxes, and don't forget to stop by the box, and we're praying, God, thank you for all those who will stop by the boxes and put the money. Like, just pass a plate at that point, for crying out loud. But it's not, it, it's just part of our worship. It's a very natural response to say, God has given us all things through Jesus, and we just give freely of our gifts for his work and the work of the ministry. That, but I struggle with this, too. I had a, oh man, I had a friend, I was a neighbor who I'd got to know, and I'd talk about my faith with him. He wasn't a church-going type person, and 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 one day he just out of the blue he just shows up at church, and it was what we call you know stewardship Sunday. We were talking about money that day, and I thought to myself, oh no, <laughs> hadn't been to church in years. The one day he shows up, why? And I was and I was preaching that Sunday at North Andover Campus, and. I was, and I started looking through my notes when I saw him, like, what can I change? How can I fix this? And I, I, and but I didn't have any time. I mean, it was, he was there. So I preached it. And after the service, he came up to me and said, hey, thank you for that message. That's exactly what my family needed to hear. And, and I thought about it and I actually went home and looked back through my notes and listened to it again and I realized what was happening was we weren't talking about money. We were talking about the good news of Jesus Christ and how when we've been loved and blessed in that way, that, that what we do, everything that we do, we do for the sake of the gospel because we've been loved, because we've been blessed and we just, we just give freely. It's just part of our worship. It's just when you're supreme value is rooted in, in your relationship to God through Jesus Christ, then everything else is just, you hold very loosely to. And that was the message that resonated with him, right? So it's not awkward or weird, it's just something we do out of joy. Uh, the other reason why we, when we think about stewardship and stewarding every gift God gives us and we think about money and possessions is that Jesus, it was important to Jesus too, so about one-third of all his parables were parables about money or possessions. So if it's that important to Jesus, it should be important to us. Again, just a normal part of our discipleship following Jesus. And, and the other reason we wanna, I want to think about it this morning especially is that it's often one of the last areas that people surrender to Jesus. Jesus. You know, they, they come to faith and God is transforming them and there's this new way of life and this is often uh, an area that can lag behind in our faith journey. So just some general thoughts on this. When you're thinking about uh, stewarding God's gifts to you, particularly your finances, your money. The first thought is that you know, God does not need your money. He really doesn't. I mean, the scripture says God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God made everything in the world. It's not like God is so insecure or so desperate that God somehow needs this from you. Generosity is not something that God wants from you. It's something that God wants for you. That God has trusted you with your wealth, that you can trust him back, that you can worship him through it, that you can exercise faith through this. That's that's the great blessing of giving. It it, it allows us to demonstrate that we don't cling to the same things that the rest of the world clings to. Again, we're living a a way of life that's very different than the rest of the world, so we can hold it very loosely. So that's sort of a a general thought, but generosity and stewarding our financial resources is just, in some ways, it's, it's very simple, I use three ways to describe the Bible's teaching on this. The first is that our giving is intentional. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each one should give what he has decided in his heart to give. So there's this point of making a decision. God, what, how do you want me to give? How do you want me to be generous with my limited resources? And and the the commendation is to decide, sort of decide ahead of time what you're going to do. That's why we use things like pledge cards. We don't take those pledge cards and tally them up and say, okay, this is what people are going to give this year. What we do is we we plan, uh, we make a financial plan based on what we believe God is calling us to do as a church, a ministry plan. And we share it. It's available as of this morning on the, the welcome desk. Here's the plan. And how, do people, how is God calling you to contribute towards that? And just to be intentional about it. Spend time in prayer and bring those back in a few weeks so that you can make that decision, but intentional. The second thing is that it's proportional. 1 Corinthians 16.2 says, On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. So we, we, we teach proportional giving. Not that, you know, not dues. Okay, this is, what it, this is what everybody should contribute, you know, as an amount. But it's everybody should give proportionate to their income. And God has blessed us in different ways with that. We, we sometimes talk about tithing. Tithing is just means giving a tenth of, of what you have to, back to God for, for the work of ministry and the work of his kingdom. And that's a good standard. That was the Old Testament law. God's people were commanded to give a tenth of the first of all that they had. Uh, that's a good standard. I mean, in the, in, the, in the New Testament, we are not bound by the Old Testament law. We are in, in the same sense. We're not required to do that. But it's a good standard. It's a helpful standard for people. For some people, that seems like a huge number. Oh, I could never get there. I could never do that. Um, what Again, the, the, the goal isn't that everybody gets to 10%. It's the, the goal that everybody is just, again, intentional, proportional in their giving, considering what God has for them. Excuse me. I'm about to cough really loud. I don't know if the tech people can help me with this one. I don't have a cough. All right. All right, intentional, proportional, and cheerful. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is never about guilt or feeling like you haven't done enough. And if, you feel, if, you feel, if you are giving out of guilt or just out of duty or obligation, just stop. Wait until God moves in your heart that you can do this with joy you could be a cheerful giver that's what god wants from us it's again it's not something it's not something that we got to do it's something that we get to do it's it's a way that we can be just that we can exercise faith and enjoy and worship god and that's why and giving here in this church is all very anonymous i don't know what anybody gives to this church i don't i don't look at the pledge cards i don't i don't have access to the to your giving i don't I don't have that. There's very few people, just for your purposes, for uh, purposes of of keeping track of that for tax receipts and for you know keeping track of it. But it's very, very few people, and it's all very confidential and anonymous. We don't want to know. We just want you in your heart to be intentional, consider proportional, and just cheerful. And that's it. But here's here's at the heart of it, because of Jesus. Again, we are arming ourselves with his attitude. So we have a whole new attitude. We have a whole new lifestyle. And it's a lifestyle that we live everywhere we go. And it's a lifestyle that is not necessarily going to make sense to the world around us. And we might even get mocked for it. But we live lives that are alert, sober-minded, prayerful. And above all else, we love one another. Because love is going to cover over all a multitude of sins. And we we are good stewards of whatever graces and gifts that God has given us. We do that in service to him, and and we pray that it be for his glory. One of my favorite favorite passages about attitude in Jesus, and I'll close with this, comes from the letter that the apostle wrote to the Philippian church in chapter two. He said this. He said, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. May we arm ourselves with the attitude of Jesus. Above all else may we love and may we be faithful stewards of God's gifts to us. Amen.